Go. Streaming from South Africa to the world. To the world. This is the Stonks Go Moon podcast. What just happened? We break it down so you don't have to. Welcome everyone to the Stonks Go Moon podcast. My guest today, best-selling author of the book, The Tower of Trading, friend of the show, and returning again for season six, Simon Ree. How are you? Really well, Rocco. Thanks for having me back on. Good to see you again, mate. Uh, it's only my pleasure. Simon, um, as again, we do these things after a big FOMC meeting, some would say a bit anticlimactic, I guess. No one wants to go up on a stage after their boss has already preambled something or put a narrative into the market that, hey, this inflation thing that uh, doesn't want to go away, that's actually the Russians. It's harks back to the sort of the Cold War. It's like, mm, that's a very tough act to follow. What do you think? How do you think uh, Jay Powell um, performed? Uh, well, just getting back to your opening comment. So the Fed, okay, we're going to keep interest rates at zero for years and years. We're going to buy $5 trillion worth of bonds. We're going to enable $6 trillion worth of national debt increase and fiscal expansion. We're going to increase the money supply by 40% in two years. And inflation is Putin's fault. (laughs) But that was Biden. It is now the second time that someone outside of the Fed has said something that to my, in my opinion, they shouldn't have. It's not their place to say, am I right? Because the first time Correct. was Yellen. Remember, Yellen said comments yeah. from the side, and we were like, mm-hmm. whoa, what are you doing? Now you've got, the, you've got POTUS himself, but it's not him, right? Because, I mean, it, it's whoever is advising him saying, okay, you need to say this. So obviously, there's another narrative that they want to push. Uh, but the, the Fed have made a... I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight, right? But yes, it's a critical yes. error keeping mm. the financial spigots open so broadly when there was this fiscal stimulus hitting yes. an economy that was already recovering and growing rapidly. Yes. Um, that, was, that was a poor decision. And, and then to sort of go and say, well, it's transitory. You know, we're not that worried about it. We're just going to, we're going to keep printing. We're going to keep rates at zero. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they finished the taper last week, right? Yeah. Uh, and we've, we've got the, the 25 basis point in, in, in interest rate as expected, which was, I mean, that was all but locked in, right? Yes. Powell told the Senate that that's what he was going to approve. Yes. yes. So anything other than that, his already worn credibility would have been in tatters, I think. I know one um, out of the I, eight, sorry, one out of the eight that said 50 and all the rest, the seven said uh, 0.25, which was interesting. Yeah, that's so right. there's basically consensus. Basically, consensus on this rate rise. There's zero consensus, though, really on <laughs> where inflation's heading. Um, what's, you know, probably the, the biggest risk here is that, well, I mean, there are two risks. Well, Powell was asked specifically um, would a hypothetical increase in unemployment temper the FOMC's desire to raise interest rates? Mm. And his reply was, price stability is a precondition of broad and inclusive full employment. What that means in plain English is that uh, they're going to keep tightening until inflation falls. And the labour market, you know, that's a secondary consideration at best. Mm -hmm. And I think that the Fed, if they're going to toe this line, they are potentially playing with fire when it comes to recession risk. 
because so, financial conditions yeah. have already tightened appreciably. Yes. Um, what was interesting to me was the equity market's reaction. Okay. Um, we, we, saw a, we saw a pretty heavy dive once the, the statement was released, 25 basis points, and we're, we're going we're to get six more after this. Mm-hmm. And then S&P 500 ripped 110 points as soon as he started speaking. And I didn't see the FOMC deliver anything that was consistent with a, you know, a 3.7% rip in the NASDAQ. I, I, really, I really didn't. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm usually the last bull standing, uh, but even I was really scratching my head a little bit there. So for me, as the one thing that stood out is acknowledgement, actually, or what we knew from, I mean, uh, not season five, season four, we said, what is this market hiding? Turns out a very big um, tech uh, pullback, 17%. So that was obviously very well hidden. They knew exactly what they were doing. And now we have confirmation that they are behind the eight ball and they are way behind the eight ball, right? So and these this 0.25% will only like take effect in months to come, right? It's not like we do something now and it plays out, whatever. This is just the start. And, and really, what's it even going to do? I mean, the, the time to start doing this was, was a long time ago because what, what we had was obviously a, a supply disruption with COVID, yes. which met a still here. forward in demand. Yeah, it's still and here. Then, yeah, still here. It's probably, probably still getting worse. Yes. Um, but we had demand pulled forward as a result of stimulus. Now we've got a genuine supply shock on our hands with the conflict, the, san- the, the sanctions against Russia, all of these types of things. Yes. Um, and raising rates into a supply shock is not going to achieve very much. <laughs> uh, and it could even do quite a bit of harm if, if they go too far. An interesting, um, one of the most interesting things for me is the, uh, um, coupled with the indices that ripped, um, almost every industry, indice ripped higher, was the gold price, which always... Um, more, more often than not, the FOMC is not good for the gold price. We always see a big decrease yes. when he's speaking. That actually went higher, coupled with the indices. So usually what? I mean, you would see gold go down, indices go up, indices go down, gold go up. So, I mean, safe to say a little bit of manipulation there, maybe. Is that what no, we see? I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Um, gold was part of the war trade. So once, once the... Russian troops really kind of got lined up on the border and it became, you know, when, when Biden kept sort of jawboning the fact that an invasion was imminent, mm-hmm. we, saw, we saw a big rally in bonds, we saw a big rally in oil, we saw a big rally in gold. Now, the rally in oil was a fear, fear of supply issue kind of rally. Uh, mm-hmm. The rally in gold and the rally in bonds was more of a gold is a chaos hedge people like to think it's an inflation hedge it isn't it's, it's just a chaos, chaos hedge, hedge. Um, but okay. the rally in bonds was a classic flight to safety and, and what we've seen is an unwind of the war trades oil's back back below a hundred dollars a barrel mm-hmm. uh, the panic has come out of the gold price and it looks as though bonds are going to resume their their downtrend and so i think really all we'd seen was that we'd, we'd seen a parabolic rise in the gold price coming into this um the market basically stuck a pin in that and, yes. and the gold price had kind of deflated enough that, uh, and if you, if you look at the gold price, it, it's right back at, uh, you know, it, it found support right back at a previous swing high. I mean, it, yes. the, the technical analysis actually worked out really yes. beautifully there. But, the, but also the TA shows you that when commodities tend to rise parabolically, they don't 
what they don't recover into sideways or correct into sideways they go straight back down I and mean, if you look at stocks in the past lumber everything natural gas oil everything followed that pattern yeah i think the you know lumber had like an eightfold increase whereas gold had like a 25 percent increase so yeah I, I, gold wasn't wasn't probably as comparable to perhaps lumber um I mean, yeah, it certainly got bumped up, a decent bump as a result of the war trade. But um, I, I think gold looks okay here. You know, yeah. I've started nibbling on the long side. Yes. My point is just that, I mean, we, I'm not trading, I'm talking about, a, a, okay, let's, I'm not talking about a trading aspect here. I'm just talking about a growth aspect. We like to see a, a almost slow and steady upwards curve instead of these erratic movements and because these erratic movements leave a lot of gaps on the charts due to the volatility and i think that's what well that is what is catching people off guard because at 130 oil brent i saw people calling for 200 or whatever the case is i'm like no but there's still gaps down below and technically we know the gaps below need to fill so that's yeah. that's my point yeah, no, it's true. Um, it's just the time frame on which those gaps get filled. Yes. I mean, gaps can take a long time to fill. You know, they, yeah. they don't always get filled straight away. Um, but yeah, the, I agree with you. The market hates to leave uh, unfilled gaps. Let's move into Asia. Um, I mean, China's got its own um, problems. Um, now, Shenzhen is closed again. So Apple, there's no shipments of production, whatever the ports are closed. Mm -hmm. The mark that Hagsen keeps bleeding. And then suddenly it's they come out with a press statement. Well, they call it a strongly worded statement saying, hey, everything is fine. We will make sure everything is fine. And HK rips higher with the biggest intraday candle I think I've ever seen for an indice in my five years. I'm I'm not sure if there was higher previously. What's going on, or what do you think? What is the situation in in Asia at the moment? Well, I think the fundamentals look pretty poor. I mean, we've got a, a collapsing real estate sector, which frankly uh, looks to be in freefall, and China seems to be very, very keen on this zero COVID policy still, which could result in a further broadening of lockdowns. And, and yeah, locking down the Shenzhen region is is a big deal, right? It's yes. a massive manufacturing hub for electronics. And I, th I think I read there's over 51 million people in lockdown now. And, wow. you know, I saw a video this morning of um, thousands of people being shipped off to COVID camps in Shenzhen. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty scary stuff. Um, in terms of the equity market, I mean, you know, in the US or in the West, we talk about don't fight the Fed. Uh, I think in China, it's a case of don't fight the Politburo. If they say stocks are fine and they're going to go up, then eh, you probably don't want to fight that. <laughs> That's funny. It's just the equivalent. Um, tinfoil hat time. Um, not a big person on conspiracies, but for me, the announcement of the shutting down of ports in China just before the FOMC meeting, I think two days before, was interesting to say the least. Do you think there's some sort of financial war being fought as the media purports between China, Russia, and the U.S. I think um, there's certainly some strong arming and some flexing of muscles going on. I don't know if that I'd, I'd 
go out you know, with, with the term war. I mean, clearly yes. between the West and Russia, there, there is a massive financial war being waged. I think what's going on with China and the US, it's, it's more just uh, strong arming and, and chest beating at this point, but uh, it, it, it certainly could escalate. So I saw some tweets from you on Twitter, how you're playing um, this market currently, because it's, you have to be careful in this, in this market with, with the swings. I think a lot of people got burnt on the shorts with that rip. I mean, margin calls, if you don't know what a margin call is, and if you only started, then you're, you're pretty familiar with it at the moment. How are you playing it at the moment? <laughs> so I'm, I'm really just looking for opportunities to sell out of the money credit spreads, both put credit spreads when I think a, a symbol has bottomed, even if it's just a short-term bottom and call credit spreads when I think a symbol is at a short-term top uh, and looking okay. at taking premium. And then I'm not waiting for them to expire. I'm closing them out proactively when I can lock in roughly 70% of the premium that I receive. Okay. And I've been, that's really been my bread and butter uh, in March. I, I had a great month in January. I, I was up 13.2%. I was down about 6% in February. I, I kind of got chopped up in the chop a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far in March, I'm up about six percent. So just kind of what is two percent a week for the yeah. T- t- I saw that tweet three percent a week. What is it in layman's terms? What is a credit spread for people that maybe not familiar with that term? So normally, when if, if you think a stock's going to go up, most people will place a a bullish bet on that stock. They'll either buy the stock or they'll buy a call option on it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've been doing is, is something a little more conservative. Instead of placing an outright bullish bet on something that I think is going to go up, I place what I call a not bearish bet, which means I make money if it uh, goes up, goes sideways, or goes down a little bit. Okay. So my, the, the environments under which I can make money are greater. I don't make as much money, but there's a higher okay. probability that I'm going to make money. And in an environment of elevated volatility, um, selling spreads can work really well. That's really interesting um, because, I mean, you have people that trade CFDs and then you have people that trade options. CFDs not really um, fit for that vehicle that you just, so I'm keen to delve a bit deeper into that option side. How long have you been doing that for? And roughly what is the estimated success probability of those types of trades? So I've been doing it for you know, 20, 20 odd, 25 years. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty, it's bread and butter stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, this is, this is not complex stuff. All right. Yes, it's kind yes. of the, it's, it's the, it's the kind of options trading 102. All right. Once you've learned directional calls and puts, yes. Uh, trading, uh, you know, selling volatility is, is kind of the next step up, up, the, up the ladder. Um, each spread only involves two legs. If you sell you sell a call or a put closer to the money and you buy another one further out of the money as, as, as for protection. Okay. And I, I mean, you, you win, win rate is probably around 80%. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's very, that's very interesting. And I'm not guessing, how do you know, last question on that subject, how do you know when to employ that strategy? What are you looking for? Because yeah, I, I mean, any, any strategy can, it's not to say you can do it in any market because there will be strategies that will be more, that will give you a higher rate of return. So what are you looking for and say, ah, oh, I need to employ this strategy now? Well, what I'm looking for is, a, is an extreme short-term move and then a, a reversal against that move effectively. 
And yeah. I mean, there are, <coughs> excuse me, many, many ways you can scan for an extreme move, whether it's, uh, you know, a new 20 day low or whether it's hitting the lower Bollinger Band or whether it's hitting a Keltner channel or, you know, there, there's many ways you can yes. identify what is statistically an extreme move. And then really what I'm looking for is a, is for price to start to move back in the other direction, having reached an extreme. So it would be something like we've seen with Alibaba that just went, because that to many people was an extreme move. And then we, we saw a reversion of that of in price action. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Alibaba is a bit too hot for me to touch. I mean, that, that really kind of, I, I try and avoid falling knives. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you, Winnie the Pooh. Um, because that was a brilliant company and it shows you what happens when governments, I would say, toy or interfere with the private sector. But uh, yeah, you get on the wrong side of the CCP and uh, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Simon, thank you so much for joining me today. If the listeners want to connect with you, where can they do that? We'll drop the links in the socials, but you know, just for yeah, those. I- you can follow me on LinkedIn. My name's Simon Ree, R-E-E. You can follow me on Twitter at Simon underscore Ree. Uh, my website is DowOfTrading.com. What else are you busy with? I see you're doing something with Andrew, um, or Fred Andrew Pancholi shortly. What's that about? Yes, yes. So Andrew is a master at time cycles. All right. So he has got a system where he can predict with a high, scary degree of accuracy yeah. um, highs and lows in, in various markets. And I found it very complementary to what I do. Well, what I do is it's, it's far more price driven. Um, but if I know there's a, there's a cycle date coming up yes, and uh, it, you can tell, you know, a few days in advance, whether that date is going to be a high or a low, I'll know whether to start skewing my trades, you know, more bullishly or, or more bearishly. Um, and yeah, I've certainly found his work very complementary with, yeah. with my work. Especially on the oil. When he said, listen, there's a cycle date here. And then we saw a pullback, which I saw a pullback on the charts. But just to have sort of double confirmation about that was really interesting. And will that um, event be available on or recorded? And, you know, some people can't make it or the podcast comes out later. Will it be available somewhere? Yeah, we'll, we'll make a recording to anyone who registers. Okay, we'll link, drop the links in the social. Simon, thank you so much for joining me. To our listeners, as always, peace, love, and prosperity. And we'll catch you in the next one. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>